This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. And we are back on Lauer After Hours. This is Mike Ryan Fan Account, and I am excited to be joined by our guest, MLB expert Jeremy Taché, who will be walking us through the Marlins winning the 2020 World Series, baby. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and lamely, uh, as Mike Ryan Fan Account just said, we are joined on a uh, very late edition on a Friday night. Uh, I think we started this around maybe 10-20, 10-25. The Marlins just got their home opener, first win of the season, 5-2 uh, to two over the Phillies. And we are joined with the host of Swings and Mishes podcast, Jeremy Taché. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know that's just one of your many credits, but what what other just let's plug those real quick because I didn't I didn't do a good job. I was not as polished as I am now, and I want to hear your other credits. Oh man, you're gonna make me make me uh, be be the pretentious guy talking come about on, all, yeah, all, all yeah, of the stuff on. that I'm doing. Yep, all right, absolutely. so uh, hey guys, I'm Jeremy. Uh, I'm, the, <laughs> I'm the co-host and producer of Swings and Mishes with Craig Mish. That's pun comes from on Mishes. Uh, I am also co-host of another podcast that just recently started uh, with Gabrielle Starr called Nickelodeon, uh, which is a Nickelodeon rewatch podcast, which is just having a lot of fun watching some old cartoons and shows from from nice. my youth which is super fun um and gabrielle's fantastic if you don't follow her you absolutely should she's awesome um and then i also work as an associate producer at wsbn in miami so that's where uh, i cover the marlins the heat the panthers the dolphins and all of the college teams down here as well um so that's working more behind the scenes so doing a lot these days, but uh, having a lot of fun doing it. And this is one of the things I'm having most fun doing right now. So you guys are, are creating a really cool thing. I was, I was saying before we started the recording, but you guys are doing an awesome job. I listened to the Jason Fitz episode this morning. So it's, uh, I feel like quite the trendsetter, tre- uh, trendsetter though. I came on here before some pretty cool you people. Were, so absolutely. You were, say? you were ahead of the curve, man. You were, you were number one on, on our list. I mean, We've got we we just booked uh I don't know if I'm allowed to say it but Sarah Spain and oh, man, uh, Sarah. we we've got uh, maybe a, another particular member of the shipping container that has not joined us yet um so uh yeah and uh Jeremy how old are you by the way if you don't mind me asking 
I'm 25. Good God. Okay. So taking a note, get my shit together. <laughs> and okay. Got hey, Sam here in Chicago. What's, What's up, man? dude? How you doing? Good, good. So I saw the box score. I saw a couple of strikeouts by Alcantara. I want you to comment on it. I didn't see it. I'm sure he was electric. Oh, um, man. He was yeah. terrific. He was terrific today. Um, I, his stuff is, I wouldn't put it up there with like, I wouldn't all of a sudden just be like, oh, his stuff's as good as anybody's in the league. But man, when he's throwing the way that he did today, um, I'm sure you saw, I think I, I, you, we talked about it on, on Twitter before, but his, his, he had the strikeout on the 97 mile an hour fastball. That was the two seam fastball inside. And then he started McCutcheon the next at bat with the changeup in the same spot. And he's just the he's repeating his these days. He's like turning into like a real ace, which is certainly awesome considering he was the Ozuna trade, you know, like all those trades, everybody talks so much crap about them. And, and, you know, the Yelich trade obviously doesn't look good at all. And right. the Stanton <laughs> trade, you can, you can kind of like, you can debate it one way or another because like the reality is they needed to get off the money and, um, talent back and you know whatever but the Ozuna one it's like a steal because they got Alcantara who's turning into a real ace Ozuna ended up leaving St. Louis he's with the Braves now they also got Zach Gallen who turned into Jazz Chisholm who's their shortstop of the future it's crazy Ozuna is also a uh, horrible in left field and he has no arm oh gosh he is he's gonna <laughs> be the rest of his career he'll likely be a DH after after the next couple of years, like if, if next year the DH starts becoming instituted, like I see that guy on the tail end of his career, certainly being a DH. Like he, he was a good outfielder when he was young. Right. Speaking of the DH, very interesting. I just, I was watching the Cubs every pitch tonight. Um, yeah. We have Ian Happ batting ninth. I mean, he hits a home run reminding me of the opening day against the Marlins. He did it again. Opening day today. Oh, you oh, mean when brilliant. Dan swallowed Billy? Exactly. Exactly, yeah. but on the pitching, as, elect, <laughs> as electric as your Marlins pitcher was tonight, you have to watch the nine strikeouts by the professor, Kyle Hendricks, oh, tonight. I, oh. The fastball was 88, the changeup was 80, and last year he threw his curveball 5% of the time. Uh-huh. He threw the curveball tonight 25% of the time, three times. Really? Interesting. He, man, of watching that guy pitch. Like, as a – because so when I was in high school, I was uh, – I was fastball, curveball mostly. Um, I actually had a knuckleball, which is very silly. And it was my third pitch. And as a kid, that was my way of curveball until I was like 15, 16 years old. Um, but I was like, I like really admire Greg Maddox. Like I was the, I just want to keep guys off balance, throw a lot of strikes, keep guys thinking, whatever. But when I watch guys like last night, I watched Cueto. We have guys like right. Kyle Hendricks that are all about just like keeping guys off balance. You never know what they're going to throw on any given count. And it doesn't matter how hard they throw because guys are so off balance. And it's my favorite saying was, I remember talking to uh, a couple of kids that I used to play against and, and the phrasing that they would use is like comfortable over three. So they'd like, exactly. Yeah. So they'd like, you know, they'd face kids throwing gas and they'd, you know, they'd hit a single and, you know, and so they'd go one for four, but they felt, Oh man, I felt like I struggled really bad. They'd face me and they'd, they'd go over four with two strikeouts, but it felt like, had a good day because they were never really like overpowered but yet there were no results and Kyle Hendricks is that guy a hundred percent of the time like he's so fun 
Hendricks tonight, Yelich, she spoke of him uh, over tonight. But when you see this box score, um, complete only threw like game. Nine pitches, right? Hold on. Complete game, no walks, nine Ks, three hits, and literally the three hits were little duck snorts over second and short. It was this close to an opening night, complete yeah. game, perfect game shutout. He's terrific. Look, I'm going to try to find like a stream if I can find at least his at-bats on YouTube or something like that and try to go back and watch it because he's so fun. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, That's awesome. Order. We've got Ant from Brooklyn. Anthony, go ahead, my man. Hey, Jeremy. How are you? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. So I got, a, I got two questions for you. First, given the way society is going right now, MLB games have no fans. We've got the majority of kids home. That may still continue in September. Why hasn't there been any sort of push by MLB to go to earlier games? Maybe start 5.30 or weekend, game, weekend games during the day because, you know, you'll get a better audience, I would you know, think. You know, and I, I, it's so funny you say that. Early, earlier today, I was having that conversation with my dad. We were sitting here watching a game in the living room and enjoying opening day together as we have for probably 20 of the 25 opening days that I've been alive. And we were talking about how, you know, the NBA and the NHL – during their playoffs, they're going to have games stacked throughout the whole day. And I don't understand why Major League Baseball didn't make that same decision as people are mostly working from home. And let's be honest, with the pace of baseball, is there a better sport to simultaneously watch and work during, right? There's 45 seconds between action. You have plenty of time to do your work. You look up for five seconds to see whatever happens. You look right back down. There's actually only... 15 minutes of distraction if you're really being honest with yourself. So I, I totally agree with you. I think there should be games during the day. And I'm really surprised. I, I was surprised when the, the schedule was released that there weren't more day games. Hopefully, you know, if they're able to get to the playoffs, which, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But if they're able to get there, hopefully during the playoffs, they handle it that way. Sort of like March Madness, where, you know, you got a game at noon and then at three and then at six and then at nine and you're just watching baseball all day long. Yeah, I was talking with my buddy Tom about it, and we were just like, it was actually his question, and we were just like, we couldn't believe that they didn't even, they're trying so many new things, it would be a perfect time to try something new. So then my second question goes to the Mets game today. Completely. Cespedes hit a bomb, run around the bases, and no social distancing, every Met was high-fiving him, everyone was close, it was just like, you know, are we going to inevitably see a demise because they just can't get their stuff together and figure out that I can't be doing or acting how I used to act? Yeah, I think this is a tough one, right? Because the social distancing during games and in the dugout, and maybe it gets better as it goes along, um, because maybe there will be messages from MLB to a team like the Mets, right? Maybe they get a message overnight that says, hey, the way you guys celebrated, that that's not all right. That can't work, right? But on the same token, we also have to understand these guys are traveling together. They're going to be in airplanes together. We had the same scare earlier today um, as we're recording this. Jorge Alfaro, uh, we don't know if he tested positive technically for the Miami Marlins, but Jorge Alfaro was out for COVID-related reasons uh, for the Miami Marlins. And look, he played in a game, two games this week with the Marlins, then flew from Atlanta to Philadelphia with the Marlins, then practiced with the Marlins. And today, now he's out due to COVID-related reasons, and the rest of the team is playing because none of them tested positive. So with Major League Baseball in particular, this is going to be a day-by-day sort of uh, hoping for the best throughout the season. It's going to be a very, very different feeling 
than what's happening with the NBA and the NHL, where they can truly create a bubble and can truly, you know, we're not going to worry about those guys high-fiving, right? Because we know that they're all within this confined space and there's no one going in or out. Baseball, we're just going to kind of have to hold our breath and pray. And, and I hate it. I mean, I was talking earlier today. I was, I was pretty vocal on Twitter saying that I was very frustrated. There was a cloud hanging over opening day, the cloud hanging over it last night with Juan Soto testing positive. And when you look at it, the Yankees had to choose to play against the Nationals who had someone who tested positive. The Phillies had to choose to play against the Marlins, who had someone who was out for COVID. The Mets had to play the Braves, who had both of their catchers test positive. And mind you, that's three catchers from the scrimmages between the Marlins and the Braves. So I, I really hope we're checking in on whoever the umpire was for those games, to be honest as well. Because if 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 three catchers from the same games were testing positive, you know, we're gonna have those issues and uh there's this is a bit of a tough one for for Major League Baseball. And you know, these guys are going to high five. They're going to be in the dugout together. They're going to distance the way that they can. They're going to wear masks when they can. And we're going to have to hope that being outside for this sport helps more than other sports, I guess. Jeremy, to add on that, Asam here from Chicago, uh, on both those questions, I was thinking, one, I noticed Javi Baez with the Cubs has always been big about throwing sunflower seeds and spitting them, especially at the batter's back. He didn't do that at all tonight, so that was mm-hmm. cool to see. And back on the... uh more day games, you know, like I'm looking forward to tomorrow. There's noon games. They do it, you know, noon to late on Saturday. They do it noon to late on Sunday. Maybe it's um, a travel thing that they can't do it five, six, seven days a week. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's possible. I'm sure. Well, first of all, Hey, Asam, how you doing? Uh, second of all, you're, you're totally right. That is possible that because of the travel that that might be messed up, but it would make me wonder that when there's longer homestands, or even the second and third game of the series where teams have already done the traveling, why that third game couldn't be at noon. And in some scenarios, it is. I know the Marlins have a number of one o'clock starts or 12 throughout the season, just not as many as I hoped that they would more than anything else. And, and you're right, going back to the Javi Baez point that you made, guys are going to make an effort. It's going to be the moments more like Anthony brought up where it's a celebration effort is a little bit diminished, right? It's easy to make the effort of, I'm not going to spit seeds. I'm going to focus on wearing a mask. I'm going to be Anthony Rizzo who pours hand sanitizer at first base. That was great. Right. All of those. Oh, it was terrific. Easier to do stuff like that than after a big home run in what's a zero, zero ball game. And you want is coming from injury and it's a moment for him. You want to give that guy a hug. You want to give him a high five and it's just going to happen. And that's why this season even existing to begin with is a big question mark, to be honest. To add on that real quick, when Hendricks, after the complete game, was getting interviewed, you saw Rizzo in the background and Bryant, you know, like lift up the Gatorade to throw it on his head. But obviously it's not the cleanest water. So what they did is right. they just threw it at his feet. So we had a Gatorade foot shower. What even are we doing? <laughs> I mean, it's just sometimes I think about some of the stuff that we're talking about. And so, I mean, think about what the first 10 minutes of this have been. This is one. Of, it's just one of the strangest times. And I feel simultaneously, I feel dread over all of it. And, and also I feel grateful to be experiencing it because I know it's something like one day I'll tell kids and grandkids, etc., about what it was cover the 2020 baseball season. It is, uh, it's a, you're absolutely right about that. If nothing else, it's going to go down in 
history is is just just quite frankly the just about the weirdest possible right. uh season of all time i don't know what could possibly top this i don't want to find out what could possibly top this <laughs> exactly. because if something does top this uh the likelihood that the world is still in one piece is uh very very slim mm-hmm. um yo jeremy what's up what's going on man not much bro thanks for joining us again of course um, i changed my dumb cubs question just to a dumb question perfect <laughs> um, so Javi Baez is probably one of the most exciting uh, players in baseball. Can you give me a starting lineup of your most exciting at each position? Ooh, man. Okay. Um, my most exciting, and I'm not going to include a DH at the moment just because uh, I'm going to move guys to positions just because DH is a weird one at the moment. So right first base, I'm putting, I'll start on the mound. On the mound, I think the most exciting player to watch still, I love watching Max Scherzer. And I know, I know that last night he wasn't terrific in opening day, but uh, <laughs> as, as guys celebrate in the background of this Zoom, I'm sorry for my pause of, uh, of laughing here, <laughs> but he wasn't terrific on opening day, but the movement, the fire, everything with him, he's still one of the most exciting pitchers to watch. I there are other guys who have come up that are young, but I, I hate to take that mantle from him uh, at catcher. Um, I'll say my, my favorite player to watch is still Yadier Molina. Uh, but the most exciting catcher in baseball. Hmm. I, I guess I might say Castillo in, in Chicago. And I know that that's, Maybe not the hottest or, or the take, but he's he's an incredibly entertaining guy. At first base, I'm going to say Vlad Guerrero Jr. because he is just absolutely terrific to watch. Uh, at second base, hmm, man, this is a this is a tough one. Second base, I think I'm trying to go through all the teams in my head to make sure I don't miss anybody and get judged for this. At second base. We can put Baez at second. He started there forever. Yeah, I'd rather you know have what? Him there. I will put Baez at second. You know what? I'll put Baez at second. Thanks for that one. I'll put Baez <laughs> at second. At shortstop, I'm going to put Tim Anderson, as I just think he is an absolute joy to watch. At third base, hmm, I, I got to do. I got googling here because now I feel like I'm going to end up uh, messing this up in in. Uh, in the overall, <laughs> this is a judgment overall. judgment free zone, Jeremy. Judgment free zone. All right. So third base, third base. I'll still say Nolan Arenado, right? Okay. Not the, the San top. Diego third baseman. Not the San Diego third baseman. No, I'm still keeping Nolan Arenado as as my most entertaining third baseman, my most exciting third baseman in baseball. Um, if I had to say my top left fielder, I would probably. Hmm. Because these are moving around quite often at this point, but I would probably say that my top left fielder, let me see. I'm trying to create the perfect field for you guys. So my top left fielder, I'll go ahead and say Juan Soto. My top center fielder is going to be Mike Trout. And my top right fielder in terms of entertainment purposes Oh man, 
I guess, I mean, could I say Mookie? Is Mookie playing right field still? I mean, we could also say Aaron Judge, right? Playing right field. So it's all about, I, I know that I kind of went all over the place with that, but in terms of entertainment, I guess that what I measure as entertainment are a couple of things. Number one, can I sense how much these guys love playing the game, which seems like the lamest thing in the world to talk about, right? Because someone like Fernando Tatis Jr. could also be one of the most entertaining guys playing shortstop. I love Tim Anderson because he plays with flash. He plays with style. He plays, he flips bats, which is just a joy, you know, and, and on the rest of these positions, I kind of wanted to take some guys who, you know, have proved that they're the most entertaining players. I think there's a number of prospects that that was my problem here is the reason I just went to Google was because everything that came to my head was all these guys who have just come this year. And I really didn't want to just go there because I think that other guys have earned it a bit more. So yeah, I guess if I, Roundabout answered your question. I don't know if I did that spell. Well, Jeremy, <laughs> you're, Jeremy, your uh, your DH would obviously be Schwarber. We know that. Oh, Schwarber, Schwarber's out. <laughs> See, of I was so just the Cubs Schwarber's excited. Schwarber's excited to left field because yeah. you never know if he's just going to fall down or if he's going to make a great play or tear his ACL. You don't know what's going to happen. That's a very good point. I also, honestly, Yoenis Cespedes is one of the more exciting players in baseball because he's just an absolute like. You have no idea what's going to happen with that guy at any given point. So there's a number of different players that you could kind of choose and go back and forth on. I think it's difficult. I I also want to go with some Marlins, but I know that's not the reality, so I'm not going to go there. Uh, But I think that what, what is exciting is that my brain did go to a number of prospects. And so doesn't that bode well for baseball in the future? I think it's a good sign if nothing else. All right. Uh, up next, we've got John in Miami. I think he's got a question. Go ahead, John. Hey, Jeremy. It's John. What's up, John? How you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm great. Excellent. So uh, I just want to backtrack to Ant's question. Um, it's got to be ad dollars, right? That's that's the only reason why they're putting them on uh, in prime time is the the discrepancy between, you know, midday, midday adverts and, and uh, prime time adverts. I mean, I would think so. Right. I would think that that's the biggest answer to say yes to your question, but also you could counter pitch that with saying we will certainly be the most watched thing on TV at one o'clock, right? So your advertising dollars can go up because you know the ratings would be up and you're not competing with primetime television otherwise. And everybody's working from home now. That's the key. That's why I thought that they would do stuff during the day is with so many folks throughout the country still working from home. I thought that you could take advantage of that and be able to market. Hey, people will be watching. Agreed. Uh, I'm just saying that I don't think the tables. Go ahead. No, no, go, go. I was saying that I don't think, I don't think the rate tables have caught up with, with COVID, you know, it's still correct. um, You know, prime time versus, versus, uh, you know, uh, midday, midday stuff. But my thought is you'd have a one, a four and a seven, like, and you would just by volume, get more ad dollars because there's nothing going on at one o'clock. People would watch, you know, the Mets, even if they don't like the Mets, because, hey, it's a game, it's on, it's, and it would get Ed dollars. I just figured, but. Got it. Um, my, my question actually is probably a little more frustrating than, than Ant's is, um, hmm. when are we going to get, like, the tech that they already have in the game? So, for instance, that, that pitch tracker, uh, get rid of the oh, umps. Man. We don't need them. We'll get rid of, you know, all these uh, human error things. Uh, it really chaps my ass. I'm not a big, I'm not a big baseball watcher, but when mm-hmm. I do and, and they get the, the, the pitches wrong and, and um, 
mainly that, but you know, you've seen some things here and there also. Uh, they have the tech. I mean, yeah. why, why aren't they going to it? Is it a union thing? Is it just like, it's just very frustrating to watch and see people uh, get things wrong when they don't have to. Yeah, I mean, look, the umpire union is strong, but I, for a long time, I was very anti-get rid of the umpire. Um, I like human error in the game. Um, it's no different, honestly, than any other sport. You know, like referees in basketball blow calls. Referees in the NFL blow calls. Not all of them can be overturned. There's something special about the game being human. And baseball is one of those games that is most representative of humanity because so much of it is failure. Uh, and I think that <laughs> adding, adding umpires uh that sometimes mess things up is something that I've always loved and 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 look also I approach things from a and I'll and I'll come back around on this and probably end up agreeing with you but as someone that that really loves things through a pitcher's mentality I love that if a pitcher's owning the outside corner all game that late in the game they might get an extra inch or two that's something that has been a part of baseball for a long time it's that baseball isn't perfect and that's something that is is somewhat beautiful about the game to me. It's the same. It's similar logic to the reason I like seeing pitchers hit because even though they're terrible at it, it adds another strategy. It adds another human element that sort of changes the game when you get rid of it. That said, when you're watching ESPN on Thursday night and the technology that does exist where they can not only show you that it was a strike, but they can show you what part of the strike zone in 3D that that ball hit and, and became a strike or wasn't a strike and the minuscule differences between the two. You're right. The technology is there. And at this point, if you're going, the problem is if you're going to be showing it on TV, if you're going to constantly be showing up your umpires on TV, then why have them to begin with? Especially right. considering... Exactly. So many of the other calls, you know, the calls at first base too. get rid of those too. do it based off a timer. Like at this point, we're overturning all of those. So I, I, unfortunately, yeah, I am with you. I mean, for, and, and honestly, that might be something I've only thought in the last two days that I would turn to your side on this one, because I love the human element of baseball, but when we're constantly being shown exactly what's wrong you can't do that in other sports it's all a judgment call otherwise this is just technically a fact and so to have to have umpires constantly making mistakes is going to turn off the novice baseball fan and you know the non-novice baseball fan the more experienced baseball fan will just get used to it jeremy i really think the um the buzzer on the home plate umpire's belt as soon as we see the dot on the k zone if he just gets buzzed I think it would be great. I think it would move things along. There'll be no arguing. Arguing. Yeah. My softball league, real quick, has a mat behind home plate. If the ball hits yeah. it, boom, everyone knows. I mean, it's that simple. We can right. do it. It's, I like it. Yeah. I mean, I, look, it's, it's definitely uh, not going to be as simple as the mat, but I do agree on the buzzer that, like, if that was what was being signified and so the umpire could still technically be there to call balls and strikes but a computer was really telling them what it was and they were more a vehicle to be able to tell the audience and the, the batter and the catcher what was going on. You're right. I, I, that it's probably the best way to go at this point. How about, how about if we're going to venture into like the absurdity, which, which is what I like, how about instead of a buzzer and uh, just electrocute him when he gets it wrong? Ooh. Okay. <laughs> so he still makes the call. 
but he's just got like a shot collar. And if he gets exactly. it wrong, you just see him kind of like flounder on the ground a little bit. Right. Angel well, maybe Hernandez. Maybe, maybe, yeah, Angel Hernandez can't maybe, that. maybe like, um, I don't know, something around his um, nether regions. I don't yeah, know. Something I like think, that. John, I come think on, the, man. <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of a lot of fans who'd love to see that happen to Joe West. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. In all fairness, I, 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 I used my dog shot collar to wake my drunk brother up once and it worked pretty good. So. <laughs> Wait, how did you uh how did you how did you set the uh, the collar off? Nether regions. Well, it's 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 like a proximity, right? No, no, no. It's it, it's uh actually it's right here. It's it's like a remote operated thing. Oh, but, it's a like a training collar. Yeah, so I just put it up against my brother's arm and shocked the hell out of him. <laughs> he wouldn't wake up, and he was stuck on my couch, and he didn't believe. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's a crime you just admitted to. So, um, well, at least you were punching like Cody punched his brother, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving along. We've got uh, Barrett actually couldn't join us tonight, but he sent me a question that he would like me to ask, and sure. I'm completely pulling a Stugatz because I don't know uh, if this is accurate. This question sure. I'm about to ask, but he wanted to know, what are your expectations for young teams like the Phillies and Braves in this small season? And also, he wants to know if you're a shell chocolate sauce guy on your ice cream. Okay, so I'm not a huge shell chocolate sauce guy on my ice cream. Um, okay. My favorite ice cream, I'm going to start there because that's that's the more important question. Okay, like, come absolutely. on, ice cream over right. baseball. Sure. Uh, so I, my favorite ice cream place in the world is a place called Jackson's Ice Cream. In fact, as we're sitting here on this, I'm literally wearing a Jackson's ice cream hat hold as on, we're sitting on, here on, on. Can, this can, conversation. Can you get close to the uh, camera real quick? I want oh, to here, get a here we go. Real quick. Here yeah, we go. so that you can see Jackson's Jackson, yep. ice cream. It's Dania Perfect. Beach, Florida. Uh, it's it's the best ice cream place in the world. Um, here, let me put my headphones back on real quick. <laughs> yeah. So Jackson's ice cream is my absolute favorite. Uh, okay. That's that's the base for everything. I think it's important. Uh, if you live in South Florida and you are listening to this podcast and you have never been to Jackson's ice cream, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to get there as soon as possible. Uh, <laughs> but my favorite thing to do is actually, I'm a big marshmallow sauce guy with my ice cream. I'm okay. also, uh, I also oh. don't don't mind some hot fudge, but I'm not as much of a chocolate sauce guy. And especially, I don't love like the hard shell around ice cream that magic also, shell stuff yeah I, I mean it's okay i don't i i'm not going to turn away ice cream if it's given sure to me, okay sure. so that let's let's make that perfectly clear right <laughs> off the top is if you're giving me ice cream i'm eating it and i don't really right. care if it's chocolate sauce or anything else but if i had my choice i'm going marshmallow sauce one hot fudge two okay uh and i'm also which is i know sometimes a bit controversial but i'm a big mint chocolate chip guy when it comes to okay. my ice cream okay. Uh, and I'm no, a judgment free zone. Giant chocolate chips, like chocolate chunks, more so than little chips. So that, sure, it, sure. that is the best that ice cream. I, yeah, I'm totally best. with you. It's the best. Period. I, I don't care what anybody says. It's the best. Thank you. I, all right. Good. It's good to have somebody on my side on this one. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but and then going back to the to the young teams. Um, I think the younger teams are, uh, as long as there's a decent mix of veterans, uh, the almost the better shot that they have in a season like. Uh, that being said, teams like the Braves and Phillies, I feel this way more about, honestly, a team like the Marlins that has no expectations put on them by anybody. Nobody anticipates them winning that division. There's four really good teams in that division between the Nationals, the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets, right? They're also going up against AL East teams. 
but it's more teams like the Marlins, maybe the Blue Jays, with a bunch of guys that don't know better than but to just go out and play. They don't know how strange it is to play with zero fans right now because three or right. four years ago, they're playing showcase baseball at random tournaments in Fort Myers, Florida, in front of nobody. Right. Right. right? So they're not feeling how strange. Some of these guys that were playing in the Dominican Summer League a couple of years ago, there's nobody there. So they're more used to this sort of empty feeling. It's more the veteran teams. Like, you know, the Yankees are so talented that it probably won't affect them. But a team like the Yankees that's full of veterans that are very used to a super specific routine that all of a sudden, if they don't start hot, they start pressing because there's only 60 games. Every game matters that much more. Every win is like a three-game winning streak. Every loss is like a three-game losing streak, essentially. And so... You know, to go back to the Phillies and Braves, those are the Phillies have a a, a precarious situation in that they've already paid Harper. Hoskins mm-hmm. has been up a couple of years. Real Muto's entering free agency. They've got a lot of pressure on them to make the playoffs this season. The Braves are in that sweet spot of they're just young enough, but they've also been there now last year having gone to the playoffs. So they have that perfect mix of like, we're still young enough not to really get the repercussions of all of this but we have enough experience that we can persevere. So like the Braves are in a better spot than the Phillies, in my opinion, that way, especially imagine if the Phillies now they lost game one of the Marlins. Imagine if they lose that opening series to the Marlins of all teams and then go, you know, and play their next year. And that's at home. You know, the Phillies are at home right now. So, and then they go into their next series and they struggle a little bit. Then you only got, you know, 50 something games left. There's pressure there. And so the, the, I, I do agree the young teams just because they're not so used to the routine of 162 games every season, year in and year out, are going to be able to adjust backwards to their high school and college days a little bit easier. There's going to be a team that starts a short season, 0-8, 0-10, because that happens all the time during a regular season, and then they're pretty much done. Season's over. Yep. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's it's that crazy that, that like, I, I'm looking at it, so as, as someone that covers the Marlins, I'm sitting here and going, okay, the Marlins' first seven games, they have a three-game stint in Philly right now. Then they get two at home against Baltimore and then two on the road against Baltimore. Baltimore might have assembled, maybe other than the Giants this season, the worst team I've ever seen put together in a major league ball club. It's one of the, one of the worst teams top to bottom that I have ever seen assembled. Jose Iglesias batted third tonight. Jose Iglesias. <laughs> you're all sitting here like with blank stares on your face for a reason. It's they Jose lost Iglesias. 13 to two. They lost 13 to two tonight. Right. They lost 13 to two in game one. They're oh. a horrible team. So I'm looking at the Marlins and going, okay, they won game one. If they can just take one more from the Phillies and then take three out of four or even a clean sweep in those four games against Baltimore, you're starting six and one, five and two. You only got 52 games left. You got a couple of game lead. Let's ride. You know what I mean? So right. I, this is such a, the whole, you're going to hear 60 game sprint 8 billion times. So I'm not going to be the one to use it anytime after this. <laughs> but when you are involved in a short season like this, every single game matters so much. And so if you start hot, you can play with all the confidence in the world and just go for it. And if you start slow and you're a team who's supposed to compete for a world championship this year, Right. All of a sudden, there's going to be some pressure that you're not so used to. And I know the fans aren't right there on top of you, but you're going to feel it. And, and yeah. that's what makes this one time thing of a 60 game season really, really entertaining. Right. 
All right. Up next, we've got uh, Stugat's Army, a.k.a. Bruce and Sales, a.k.a. Lou Rafter. He's got a question for you, I believe. Go ahead. What's going on, man? Hey, up, Lou? how you doing, man? I'm great, man. Thanks for uh, joining us. I'm glad I hopped on. Uh, Eric was like, hey, 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 hop on. And I was kind of like, well, I'm tired, but yeah, why not? I mean, it's, that's what's so fun about what we're doing. It's crazy. Um, but I have a question. Uh, normally, I don't have real questions. Um, I might have another one for you later on. Okay. But I actually <laughs> have, a, I, 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 I have a legit question. Uh, what, what is there about American society that makes baseball's America's national pastime? Man, baseball has just been so ingrained in American culture for so many years. Um, it, it started in the 1800s, right? We've played it through wars. You know, Tom Verducci actually wrote for MLB Network last night, and I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but he wrote a really, a really beautiful uh, intro video that was narrated by John Hamm of all people, which I thought was was fun. Um, and uh, you know, what it it, what it brought us through was the beginning of baseball, playing through World War One, playing through World War Two, playing through the strife in the 60s, playing, you know, all of us remember Mike Piazza's home run after 9-11 with the Mets, George Bush throwing the first pitch, you know, after, after 9-11, then in the World Series for, for the Yankees. And I think what makes baseball America's pastime that way is just that, it's been something that we've shown to our kids for so long. So like little league baseball, right? Little league baseball is the first sport. I would bet most of us were signed up for as kids, little league baseball. There's the, the, the there's the camaraderie of team. There's, it, it's such a sport that is, even if you're terrible at it as a little kid, you get a chance to be on the team and you're a part of the lineup, Right. So if you're the worst player on the team, yeah, you're stuck out in right field and you're batting ninth, right? But you're a part of the team. And when you're the worst kid on a basketball team or on a football team, you just don't get playing time. You're not out there. You don't get to be a part of it. And I think it, it, it's such a, it's just a bat and a ball. You can go out and play with your friends. And I think just because of the history and the longevity of the sport has what's has been what's made it resonate the way that it has with American culture. But I also think what I mentioned before, baseball is a game that is so much about failure, 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 and continuing to get up and persevere through that. And that's, you know, I think so much of, and not to get all like, you know, spiritual or whatever, but that's so much of the American way, right? Like overcoming failure and being able to still persevere through that, regardless of the challenges that you face and so if you're a baseball fan and you've watched, you know, you're a Red Sox fan and you waited 86 years for a title, but eventually they persevered. If you're a Cubs fan, you waited 108 years for a title, but eventually they persevered. And that's something that only exists in baseball because of the longevity of the history. And it's the thing that baseball fans do worry about is the NFL and NBA catch up in terms of the history that's there is what do we do to continue to connect with the youth to be able to be sure that it remains America's pastime? I, I love that question. That's also, a good answer. I, 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 sorry, I, mean, uh, I was thinking about it too. Like when you're talking about like playing baseball, the youth. Um, I think the other thing too we all remember is going to concession after the oh. game 
right? You know, oh man. All right. So, all right. So let me, let me go from that. So one of my, get your fun dip. Oh my gosh. Well, so one of my favorite things is get, you get fun dip after the game. I I'm a big, uh, obviously I'm a huge sunflower seeds guy. So like during, even during the game, just running over to the concession stand real quick and grabbing some of that after a game. One of my favorite things is a little kid playing little league when I was like 12 years old was sticking around to watch my friends in middle school who were also playing in little league. And so, you know, my, my mom and dad, my dad was my coach. And so my mom and dad would be at the park with me and I'd be like, Hey, I want to stick around and watch blah, 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 blah. in the next game. And, All right. We'll go home for a couple hours. We'll come back and pick you up. And so, you know, you leave me with five bucks. I can go grab sunflower seeds. I can buy big league chew. I can buy cotton candy. If I wanted, I could buy, you know, popcorn or cracker jacks. And then one of the best things in the world, and I hope that my, I hope that my dad listens to this. I'm going to send it to him, but we'll see. So one of my favorite things was that my dad, and I'll give him so much credit as a coach, is that he used to rally the teams after games, only after losses, to go to Baskin Robbins ice cream, uh, which was about huh. 10 minutes down the road from the field. Never after a win, because after a win, we all felt good. But after a loss that might've been a tough loss in the season or, you know, everybody struggled or it was obvious that we were all down rather than the big, you know, I'm disappointed in you guys or those types of speeches that sometimes were necessary, but after right. like those biggest deflating losses, we'd all gather up expecting to, you know, get reamed out or whatever it was. And it'd go, that sucked. Let's go get ice cream. And there's just, <laughs> I mean, those are my favorite memories from my childhood. And and I think it's, it's the biggest reason why it's like you met. I mean, that's the biggest reason why I'm such a diehard baseball guy. And it's why I wanted to cover baseball my whole life. And when I realized I wasn't going to play in the big leagues, because I'm five foot nine and Jewish, I was not, you know, it was necessary (laughs) for me to figure out the way I was going to stay in the game. And for me, that was through journalism, because there was no way that I could let all of those memories just be memories. I wanted to continue to, to keep them throughout my life. What a heart, so Jeremy. What's your big league chew flavor? Oh, I'm a classic. I'm a classic bubblegum guy. I'm a, okay. I'm a classic bubblegum guy. Yeah. Grape. 100% grape. I get it. I get it. I don't mind the other flavors, but I'm a classic bubblegum guy. I mean, for me, I, I think some, you know, honestly, sometimes if I was chewing other flavors, it just got too distracting. I was too focused on what the flavors were rather than let my brain just, just focus on, <laughs> on the regular bubblegum. All right. Up next, we've got Steve. I believe he's got a couple questions for you. Go ahead, Steve. How you doing, Jeremy? What up, man? How you doing? Good, good. I got so I got two Yankee questions, so I apologize in advance. That's cool. So, so I'll I'll ask one, and then I'll ask the one. I know Will prefers when we go two at a time, but it wouldn't make too much sense. So, my first question is: I thought about it last night with Stan hitting that bomb in the first mm-hmm. inning. Do, do you think he'll benefit from not having crowd noise this year because he gets like annihilated at Yankee Stadium? You can just tell he's pressing. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I think the baseball is a super psychological game. Uh, I think we saw Sonny Gray as a guy who did not benefit from Yankee fans. I think that it's awesome for Garrett Cole that the first year that he's there, he doesn't have to deal with Yankee fans. Uh, and that's not necessarily a criticism of specifically Yankee fans. It's just the pressure of a big market team in general and moving to a big market team with a big contract. And Stanton is a guy who Stanton gets in his head. Um, and that's, that's sometimes a really good thing. Uh, because he's very, very meticulous about his craft. Like, but the one thing that the thing that more than no fans uh, that that it struck me about Stanton when I saw him on Thursdays 
man, that guy's lean. Like he actually looks like, I'm sure all of you guys watched the last dance, uh, the Michael Jordan documentary and the little portion about the Chicago White Sox stint. And there was the whole thing working with his trainer about, he needed to go from being a basketball player to training like a baseball player. Well, I almost always felt like Stanton never really trained to be a baseball player. He just was a freak baseball player who was a freak athlete who just trained to be jacked. And now he looks like he's in real like baseball shape. He looks flexible. He looks good. So that combined with the fact that he doesn't really have to deal with fans for a couple of months here, he could have (laughs) just a sick couple of months. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. And then, then my, my second follow-up as a, as a Yankee fan again, yeah, go ahead. My, my first game ever, it was, I was six years old. It was 1996. I went to Yankee stadium, watched the, uh, watch Randy Johnson crush the Yankees. But so this all ties into, you just interviewed a certain somebody that 1996 was a key season for them. So what the hell was it like interviewing Derek Jeter? And can I just silently listen to the next one? Oh, please. I, man, even you just saying that out loud to me and telling me that I interviewed Derek Jeter actually has me teary eyed. Like I'm like, look, I, I grew up, my dad is, was born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, he grew up in Canarsie. He moved down, uh, when he was 15 to Miami. So he, he was a Yankee fan. Uh, I grew up a Yankee fan. The first time that I ever had to confront my Yankee and Marlin fandom together was 2003. Uh, I chose the Marlins. I chose correctly. It all worked out. But, uh, being on an interview with Derek Jeter was was one of the probably five coolest moments of of my professional career, if, if not number one, obviously, uh, thus far. I, I've honestly one of them has been being on the Levitard show. That was a pretty cool moment for a kid who's grown up in South Florida, right? Um, this too, this too. Yeah, obviously, this <laughs> rounds out. This rounds out the top five, obviously. Uh, but, but, but seriously, interviewing Jeter was, was a blessing. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, Craig was, was gracious enough to allow me to ask a question. Um, and as a guy who, you know, I pride myself on being relatively socially conscious, uh, to be able to ask Derek Jeter about social justice, where I grew up, uh, I'm sitting in my childhood bedroom still. I live at home with, with the parents to save some money now. And up until I was 20 years old. Uh, when you looked at the TV in my bedroom, on each side of it, there was a poster. On the left side, uh, there's, there's a poster that is actually still there. It is a John Lennon, Give Peace a Chance poster. And on the right side was Derek Jeter. Uh, and so <laughs> for those two worlds to sort of collide, for me to be able to ask Derek Jeter about social justice in a moment like this, I, I can't tell you, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. It, was, <laughs> it felt pretty amazing. And, and you know what? He was super nice, man. He was super fun with us. He was super gracious. He was, he was kind of giving us a hard time before and after the interview and, and during the interview for that matter. Yeah. He made a joke about how, you know, it's been three years, you know, since I've been here, why haven't I been on the podcast? Uh, you know, so he had some, he had some fun with us. Um, and you know, it, yeah, it was a cool moment for sure. Thanks for asking about it. No, Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, man. Of course. All right, up next, we've got Mike Ryan fan account. He's got a question. Go ahead. How are you, buddy? What's up, man? How you doing? Good, good. Um, okay, so which sports mascot would you pick to take on five velociraptors in a game of basketball? <laughs> the Philly Fanatic. Okay. The Philly Fanatic, 100%. No questions asked. It's the Philly Fanatic, period. That's a good visual. And then have you heard the new Taylor Swift album? <laughs> 
Ooh, so I listened to the first seven. I listened to the first seven songs thus far. Uh, I'll I'll be finishing it tomorrow. It's terrific. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to more tomorrow. Man, Taylor Swift is awesome. Like I'm not a I I love Taylor, me some Taylor Swift, and uh, I think that what she did with this album was pretty cool because it doesn't sound like there's any songs that she wrote to try to be big pop hits. She just made an album which is kind of cool and kind of old fashioned. And I've been, so the one thing that's been keeping me sane during quarantine is that nearly every day uh, I go for about an hour long walk and I listen to at least one album in full. Uh, and so over the last couple of weeks, I actually, uh, I started the, the Beatles uh, discography and have been listening chronologically from the very first song the Beatles released. Uh, now I'm up to Abbey Road. And so I'll continue with that going forward. But doing that, I listen to some Fleetwood Mac. I've been going and listening to some really like some old school bands and listening to Taylor Swift today on on my ride home from work and listening to the first few songs off the record. I was like, this is like an old school way of doing this. Just making an album with a bunch of really good songs that have a very specific sound that tell a story. I, man, I love it. I think it's awesome. I think it might be your best album and I haven't even finished it yet. Um, okay, so with the expanded playoffs, what potential Cinderella team would you put entertainment purposes on? I mean, come on, the Marlins, right? Come on, let's do this. Let's do it. Come on. Yeah. When's the last time? I just tweeted out, but when's the last time with 59 games left in the season, you could say the Marlins were in position to make the playoffs, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, here's what we could say about that team, right? They're playing with literally zero pressure to win. Zero. Nobody thinks they can win. They have the toughest schedule in baseball other than the Angels who actually have the best player in baseball and a couple of other superstars who they've signed, right? Anthony Radon, Shohei Otani, all these guys that are, they have pressure on them to win and they have a tough schedule. The Marlins have zero pressure. They're in a division with a bunch of teams that over the span of time have found ways to choke before. Uh, And all they got to do is get to second place, right? You basically got to play 500 ball for the season. You got to play what? 500, a little bit over 500 to make the playoffs. It's eight of 15 teams in each league are going to make it. So could the Marlins do it with good young pitching that, I mean, Sandy Alcantara looks like he did tonight and Caleb Smith stays healthy and Pablo Lopez looks like what we saw from him in summer camp. And those three guys can kind of carry you. I just don't think it's impossible. So if you're going to put some entertainment purposes on anybody, uh, why not us? Right. I mean, that's the whole mantra. It's also, it's also the national league and not the stacked AL. Yeah. I mean, the national league is look, every team is benefiting from that DH. And so maybe those sort of even themselves out, but you're right. I mean, it's like, there are a number of very bad teams at the bottom of, of, some of these divisions in the national league. And so is it possible that they could be one of the best eight teams? Look, I wouldn't literally bet on it. Uh, but if you're looking to play the odds, why not? Especially if they can start seven and one. That's you're what like, I'm saying, man, you start six and one, then you guys should really start throwing some money down. <laughs> yeah. All right. Up next, we've got Jeff. I believe Jeff's got a question. Go ahead. Hey, Jeremy. It's Jeff. What's up, Jeff? Well, first off, as a Dodgers fan, I'd just like to say this is all very cute and adorable, and <laughs> it it doesn't really matter when it comes. No, it down doesn't because that team is everything. unbelievable. 
Yeah, no, you're right. None of it matters. They're one of the, I, sorry, to interrupt you before you even ask your question. When I was watching them against the, the, the Giants last night, it was hilarious that the Giants were even in it as long as they were because that's a very bad team. And I loved watching Cueto keep that lineup off balance. But with the DH now, it's, it, how are you supposed to get the, the, the Dodgers out? How are you supposed to do that? We, we, it, it's the Golden State Warriors of 2017 in baseball form, I think. Yeah, they're that good. I mean, they're, they're terrific. They're terrific. And if I, gosh, I hope Kershaw's back isn't hurt, man, because yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's five out of seven years now. That's tough, but it is what it is. Um, Hey, do you know what the K and Kershaw stands for? I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you know what the K and Kershaw stands for? Go ahead. Let's hear it. K and Kershaw stands for knocked out after three innings, a tradition like no other watching the so-called best pitcher of all time choke in the postseason. There is nothing on this earth that makes me more upset than Clayton Kershaw's postseason stats. <laughs> War, poverty, Clayton but Kershaw's he, postseason stats. They depress me beyond belief. It, yeah, it, yeah, me too. Yeah, and I'm not a Dodgers fan. I'm just a pure baseball purist who truly just wants to see the best players of all time thrive. Right, Jeff, I'm sorry. We got really distracted. What was, what was no, your question? No, no, no. I, Imagine I started, how it, it, Kershaw it, feels. It was deserved. Um, anyway, so I actually uh, stole a question from uh, Twitter um, from one of our listeners. So uh, let me make sure I cite oh, it. Listeners. At jhair17 in Los Angeles. Um, she wanted to know if you come up with your own unwritten rule, what would it be? My own unwritten rule. This is such a good question. Okay. I think that I think that if a a pitcher walks three batters in a row, they should have to to walk the plank into a pool fully clothed in their uniform. I'm just creating <laughs> a rule a little bit. But, could the, but I could think, the pool be I mean, I guess that's out? a that's sort of a written yeah, I guess that's sort of a written rule, though. No, right? I, I'm sort of creating a written rule here. What do you think about the pool being in the outfield full of sharks also? Ooh, full of sharks? Mm, nah, maybe I don't think they much. deserve to die for nah, that's walks. Well, small sharks? Uh, never mind. Continue. Baby I sharks. Apologize. Baby sharks. Laser beams. To do, to do. Uh, I mean, maybe huh? In, in, as an unwritten rule, because right, cause you got the unwritten rules that guys get plunked after homers, or you got the unwritten rule that, you know, you don't step on the chalk right before the game and, and little things like that. But I think, I think those unwritten rules sort of develop over time in that way. I think maybe, maybe the unwritten rules should just sort of be that if you are playing the game and something like what happened with Jonathan VR tonight, who dropped a fly ball in center field because he tried to hot dog it and just sort of went after it with one hand. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for flash. But if something like that happens, I think that your own teammates should be able to shun you in the dugout. Like, I think that's <laughs> what should happen. Is like most, kissing. Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yell shame at them. Like it's How about a ceremonial, maybe hey, a ceremonial internal team. Yeah, throw sunflower seeds, yell shame. 
and that could be a fun little uh, fun little tradition that maybe a team starts themselves is just openly shaming their outfielder for dropping a fly ball. Well, thank you, thank you for your uh, considerate response. I appreciate it. Of course. Now I really want three walk pitchers to have to dive off a plank, but <laughs> I, I, I love the I love the visual. Love the visual. Asam, I believe you had a question. What's up, Jared? Thanks again, man, for tonight. This is great. Absolutely. I'm having a blast with you guys. Two quick statements before my question. And sorry, Jeff. Uh, Since the Dodgers' last World Series win, Jeremy's Florida Marlins have won two World Series. He's our guest tonight. Next statement. As far as the fan noise... (laughs) Go ahead. Fan noise. Anthony, of course, (laughs) or uh, it was Steve... Stanton at home. It's going to help Stanton. It's also going to help if you watch, side note, the basketball playoffs this year. Free throw percentages are going to go up because they can do it all day long in practice. But with the fans in the house, they just can't hit them. Question. Yes. Speaking of your last World Series in 2003. Okay. One of the most painful days as a Cubs fan life was the Bartman game and then game seven. However, Uh however... I'm uh-huh. totally over it because we won in 2016, but I want to hear your point of view of game six. And then game seven, when Kerry Wood's on the mound, he hits the home run. We're still going crazy post-Bartman and you guys beat us. Thanks again, so, buddy. I'm listening. Oh, of course. Absolutely. And thank you for the questions. Those are some of my favorite memories. So uh, I was eight years old. Uh, so that, jolts my perspective a bit and i know that i really i whispered it on purpose because i realized that was going to jolt some people in here for a second okay but you've seen a lot of video and highlights of the yeah no oh no trust me hey i watched every second of those games let's not let's not kid around on that one i watched every single second of those games that's my favorite team of all time is that 2003 marlins team uh going you know i remember being a kid watching that and my first reaction to Bartman was, what's Alou so upset about? Like, he was just being a fan, catching a fly ball. And I still, to this day, am devastated over what happened to Steve Bartman and the fact that that guy legit had to go into witness protection because he tried to catch a fly ball. Uh, I think, and I thought this that night, the person to blame for the Cubs not winning that series was your shortstop, Alex Gonzalez. Not our shortstop, Alex Gonzalez. The error he made in the eighth inning, that could have stopped the bleeding. But his error is what allowed all of the fans to get antsy because they were not antsy. If we remember correctly, yeah, people were antsy after the foul ball and Moises Alou reacted and people reacted and there were boos and whatever. But he didn't have to be escorted out of the stadium until a couple batters later when Alex Gonzalez makes an error. And now the, you know, the, the, the inning is just going completely out of control. And that ultimately ends up being what? It was a seven-run eighth inning. It was two to one going in. They have an eight. It was, it was an eight-run inning. An eight and run on inning. top of it, we, didn't, we had plenty of stud starters to bring in. And then Dusty Baker brings in just some average reliever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I get at the time you have a 3-2 lead. Uh, in ter- not in terms of the score, but in terms of the series. And so you you also do have to think at least a little bit for Game 7, although I'm the type of guy that, man, if it's what the Marlins did in Game 6, right? Jack McKeon threw Josh Beckett out against the Yankees in Game 6 on short rest saying, hey, man, we got to win it tonight. I don't want to go to Game 7. So uh, on the same token, you're right. They could have thrown some of those guys out there to stop the bleeding. But then in Game 7, 
I remember that when Kerry Wood was going out there hitting home runs, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, all right. So it was fun while it lasted during game six. And that team, that Marlins team was just so perfectly constructed in terms of the way that they could score runs and, and win games. And that, so their starters were all capable. They were workhorses. Every single one of them was capable of going deep into a game. It wasn't the type of thing where you had to mix and match with relievers like we do now. It wasn't, you know, five innings and we're hooking you. It was, you're going to go six, seven innings, and then we're going to get to Ugeth Urbina and Armando Benitez. And they're going to close things out as crazy as that is. At two guys that had been journeymen beforehand. I think Uka Therbina might have killed a guy recently. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to slander anybody, but I'm pretty sure that happened. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Look that up. Somebody. I don't know. Maybe, I don't want to slander anybody. Maybe we should take this out. Anyway, anyway, put it on the poll. Uh, so <laughs> put it on the poll. Did Uka Therbina kill someone? Uh, but but besides the Cubs' hopes. So the... <laughs> the issue with or the thing with game seven that was so fun to watch for me was watching that team sort of piece together runs. And what I remember more than that with game seven is actually how they started game one against the Yankees, because it sort of personified exactly what that team did to start that game. Juan Pierre lays down a bunt for a single. Then Luis Castillo hits a little bloop single into right field from the left side. hits a little bloop single in a right field. Juan Pierre goes first to third Pudge hits a sacrifice fly. That's what that team was. They just did the little things and they were, they bunted and they did hit runs and they weren't a very powerful team. If you look back at that lineup, I mean, what Derek Lee, Mike Lowell, those were their best power hitters. It it wasn't, it wasn't about that. And so when you watched game seven, that was all they did. They just got to wood eventually by working really long at bats, fouling pitches off and you could feel, and that was a moment like what we've been talking about this entire time of what, you know, if Stanton and Cole don't feel the pressure of Yankee Stadium, man, that I feel like that game seven, you could hear a pin drop in that game seven of the Marlins and Cubs because the anxiety over we haven't won, we had it in the bag, everybody's talking about Bartman, and now are we really going to blow this? And I think it got to the players too. And yeah. man, it, as, a, as a kid who was not rooting for the Cubs, boy, did I love it. But uh, that must have been a miserable experience. And Jeremy, you said you were eight, uh, right? Which yes. is excellent. Uh, Jeff, in 1988 with the Dodgers, how old were you? Uh, two months. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Urbina was sentenced to, but according Urbina was, to my, oh, sorry, go ahead. Urbina, Urbina was sentenced, sentenced to 14 years for attempted murder, released in 2012. So be careful. Wow. Oh, coming shit. for you. Oh, we got to no. this. Yeah, we should get this off the podcast and not put it on the poll. <laughs> Take it off the poll. Somebody mark, mark that in no, the I'm, editing. I'm kidding. Right you, can, you can leave it in there. I don't care. It's fine. I, sorry, you, get, you attempted murder and didn't actually follow through. You were a better setup man than, than you were a closer, I guess. Huh? Stay good producing there. Way to, way to get the stats and info uh, on the line. Yeah, good job. Appreciate that. All right, uh, I think Ant's got a quick one, and then we're going to throw it to Bruce, a.k.a. Lou, a.k.a. Stugat's Army. Ant, so, go ahead. Given the history of, uh, of the way baseball has worked, and I'm sorry in advance, Asam, but do you think it would be better if the Cubs were still in a drought and the Red Sox hadn't won and some of these, like, not necessarily for the fans, but, like, I feel like so much of the history was built around the struggles and not, you know, ball going through Buckner's leg is one of the biggest plays ever. Bartman is another big play. 
And I just wonder if we lost some history by some of these teams getting over the hump. You know, you're not you're not totally wrong. Um, I think it was it was fun to and not for the individual fan bases. It certainly wasn't fun for the Red Sox or for the Cubs fan bases, but for the rest of baseball and for the rest of the like casual baseball fans who didn't have individual teams that they rooted for, it was cool. Like in 2016, when the Cubs were going to the World Series, it was fun. Everybody was either rooting very hard for the Cubs or very hard against the Cubs. It created a, a forced fandom of everybody that was watching because there were some people who just love watching misery and love to watch the world burn for some reason that were in rooting against the Cubs. And then there were the people like me rooting for Cubs fans to, to be able to overcome their absolute misery of 108 years. But I think you're, you're not totally wrong because baseball, like we've been talking about throughout this, it's America's pastime and the history is such a big part of that. And so for so long, some of the biggest storylines were, you know, the curse of the Bambino and the curse of the Billy Goat. And it is, and maybe it's just that I've got, you know, myself, I've like, you know, grown up after that all happened, right? I was like, I was nine when the Red Sox won it. And then I was in college when, when the Cubs did. And, and so now that that's gone, it sort of feels like a piece of my childhood is gone. On the same token, that's also just sort of part of growing up and seeing things happen in sports. So some of these droughts are fun. I mean, but it was different. Like when Cleveland was going to the World Series and we were talking about their weird little sports drought, it was like, who cares? It, it, it's the long, it's the 80, 90, 100 years. So eventually some team will get there. Right now it looks like the Orioles, but you know, who knows? <laughs> All right, we're going to go to John real quick. And then, then we're going to throw it to Lou. Go ahead, John. All right. Thanks. Um, do you think this season will actually um, come to completion or do you think COVID's going to mess it up? Ah, oh, man. I, I hate to say this, but I kind of don't think it's going to get there. Um, if wow. we on, on day one, look, and, and, well, all right. So let me say this in two parts. <laughs> do I over under 30 games? Over well, here, under 30 well, games. Well, here's what it is. A huge part of me, thinks that yes the season will be completed it's more should the season be completed um i think there will unfortunately just because of travel uh because of hotels because of lack of being able to control what players families or uh, are doing when they're home and then players are coming back right in the time where the players are not there there are going to be spikes of this thing throughout clubhouses they created a 60 man uh sort of taxi squad for a reason uh specifically so when things like that happen you can just sort of call it up and replenish without any of the repercussions of promotions and demotions from 40 man rosters etc so could you see teams that have eight nine ten guys on the covid injured list and still somehow fielding a team and pretending like this is Major League Baseball? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, look, the sample last year was that the Yankees missed, what, 13 guys at one point, and they still went to the playoffs and competed, and so that could be the logic for Major League owners. Is It's just like a different type of injury. Do I think that that's the right thing to do? Absolutely not. Um, do I think that it's possible that they play through something like that? Sure. It's that if I were running the league and 
eight, nine, ten guys on teams were getting COVID, uh, I would think that it would be time to shut down the league. It's and that's going to be the moment, right? It's it's and that's what you're looking for is is when a team has a big breakout and that might start affecting another team. How is the league going to handle that? And and my my biggest worry in all of this, and I look at this for baseball, I look at this for basketball, and I look forward at the, at college sports in particular. I really really worry that the first thing that's going to get people to go, okay, we need to stop, is some player being like hospitalized like truly truly ill and possibly losing years off their career or their livelihood god forbid and i'm i'm so 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 concerned that that's going to happen i mean think about this in march when rudy gobert got covid we canceled major league baseball last night on opening day the reigning world series mvp had covid and his teammates (laughs) who were hanging out with him the day before went on to play so right. we're in a very different headspace. They've brought these sports back in, in a mindset of we are going to play these seasons. And I really worry that. So, so where my instant reaction to you was, no, I don't think it will finish. That was more just off of what I think is going to happen. And then how I would handle it. Not necessarily how major league baseball will. Thanks JT. Of course, man. All right. Uh, final question slash comment and we're going to go to lou after lou rafter go ahead all right lou what's up hey what's up a uh first time long long time um so (laughs) i i I have (laughs) perfect yeah i like my kong kai got tied on that i was practicing before we came on um (laughs) but i I wasn't on here i wasn't into the group before he came on so i started to do something kind of new uh with the guests uh and so while you're going on, you probably saw me work in the background. I made you a custom laughter hours hat. Get out of here. That uh, we'll send to you once this is all over. Oh my gosh. That yep. is so awesome. I can't even believe you did that. That is so cool, man. That's yep. amazing. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. That but, is so sweet. I will promo that the hell out of that. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, it's a custom. There's all this right now. This is the only one I'm trying to do like one offs for like each person that's specifically uh, th- this one was kind of thrown together. Eric was like, Hey, no, can you come on and that. do this? I'm like, sure. I love but, that. And I love the, the, for those of you who are listening to this, because you cannot see it, it's a, it's in cursive and I'm a big cursive guy. And I love the aesthetic of that. That is a sweet looking hat, man. That's awesome. Thank you. No problem. But before I send it to you, I, I do have a serious yes or no question that I do have to ask you. It's uh, yes or no. That's all you uh, want ready? Yes or no answer. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, have you ever pooped your pants? Yes. All right. That's going to end this, uh, this episode of Lauer After Hours. Jeremy Taché, we are so, so incredibly thankful for your time uh, on this late Friday evening after baseball has officially started. Host of the Swings and Mishes podcast. And uh, you heard it up top, all the other uh, things that he's got his hands in, I believe, a Nickelodeon recap podcast now um all sorts of stuff we will put up your uh your twitter handle and all your credentials we thank you so much for for spending this time with us and we can't wait to have you on again as a basketball fan i have to sit here and be like yep that dude knows exactly what he's talking about because i don't (laughs) so uh thank you for being so knowledgeable and uh so well versed in all this stuff so uh on the count of three i need everybody to give me a thank you jeremy chant one 
two, three. Thank, thank you, Jeremy. Jeremy. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Jeremy. All right. You guys are Jeremy, have a good night, man. Better We appreciate it, man. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. See you guys later. Later, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much, guys, for having me on, for real. That was super fun. Absolutely. I'll Absolutely. see you again. Thank you. Man. Thank All you. right. Yeah, I'm happy to come back on whenever. So, you know, Hell yeah. I'll be thanks, you guys Jeremy. Soon. Appreciate it, brother. Absolutely. All right. See you guys later. Later, man. Bye. Oh, he's so nice. I love him. I, I so missed good. the first one. And that I, was I listened so to it. I'm like, I need to talk to this guy. He is so nice. He was no so good. Ice cream with the guy. I can't yeah. believe he's 25. That I know. I think they want to be a better person. He could be my son.